0: We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Woody, which uh, I think when you left, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I don't remember. I know we were in 1 Corinthians, but I, I, I don't remember where we would have been. But, um... Sorry. You are not anything to be sorry about. I just... Uh, uh, We're in a a long section in the epistle of 1 Corinthians, which deals with uh, the the large issue of Christian liberty, of Christian freedom. And we finished the first part of it, which is in chapters 8 through 10. And now in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the issue of liberty uh, and freedom in Christ as it relates to worship. And we dealt with that complex uh, section in the first part of chapter 11. And now, um, I want to pick up with verse 23, but we're in the area of freedom and how you do the Lord's table. That we are to observe the Lord's table. Some of you call it communion or the Lord's supper or the Eucharist. I and mean, there are lots of different names for it. Uh, that uh, various traditions of Christianity use. But it's like baptism. These are two ordinances of the church. These are two um, practices of the church that were both commanded by Jesus. And they have each purpose. Purpose of baptism, as we've talked about that before, but I'll remind you, is to publicly identify with Christ. The purpose of communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, I'm trying to make sure I cover all the different labels we use to describe it, but I'm I'm rather certain you all know what I mean. Uh, That we are to do it is a command. Jesus instituted that in in the upper room. The last uh, public discussion Jesus had with his disciples and, and it is something that, for 2,000 years, the church has been observing. And so that we are to do it is a command. How we do it, how often we do it, uh, the circumstances that surround it. It's, I mean, just, you just go on and on and on. We have freedom. Jesus doesn't say, do it this way, this way, this way, this way, and this way. Do it this often. He doesn't say that. He just says, do it. So you're going to find uh, traditions throughout the church and probably uh, or even around this table Uh, some churches observe the Lord's Table every Sunday I used to be involved in a church that did that some churches observe it once a month some churches observe it once a quarter usually don't go more than that but there are some churches uh, that the only time they really observe communion is during Easter weekend (laughs) I believe that's rare and that's not the norm by any stretch Um, Some do it as a part of something larger that's going on. Others put it at the very end of the service. Uh, I know some churches that do it right at the middle, right before the pastor gets up and preach. Some churches do it right at the beginning. I mean, all I'm saying to you is there's all kinds of freedom in how you do it. That you are to do it is a given. What was going on at Corinth, and I talked about this last week, but quite a few of you weren't here. So I just want to... That's either somebody enjoying music or their phone call. The Lord's Table at Corinth, and this is what Paul is addressing. My writing is so terrible That is where word there is meal. The observing of the Lord's Table in these little churches at Corinth was a part of something that became known as the agape meal. I'm going to quickly go through this one more time. But the typical worship service in the ancient church, first century church, was you met on Sundays, that we know for certain, and you basically spent the whole day together. You would come together in the morning, you know, I'll say around nine or so. You would have time with some fellowship. They didn't have donuts back then, so I don't think they had donuts, and I'm not sure they had coffee. But nonetheless, they had some fellowship, and then they would sing. And the singing was normally without instruments, and then they would have an extensive time of reading God's Word. And uh, remember, this is not a culture where there were many copies of the Bible available, because one, there was no printing press it was hand-copied, and two, it was very expensive, it was very hard to have it. So you would have one person read the Scriptures, and it would usually go on for about an hour, sometimes longer than that. Then you'd have a, a what we would call a message or a sermon, and then you would gather for a meal. And it was a potluck. Um, and, you know, I think you know what I mean by that. But it was, uh, it was just a meal where you, people would bring different types of food and you'd share the meal together. And then at the end of the meal, you would have communion together. And then, again, there'd be a, a time of rest. And then you'd come back, do some more singing, and have another message and reading of God's Word. And then roughly around the middle of the afternoon, you'd go home. It was, a, it was a, an extremely important day. And as I said last week, I believe I said this, the first century church was the most socially leveling institution in the ancient world. what I mean by socially leveling, uh, slaves and their masters came, men and women came, um, the very, very rich and the very, very poor came, um, Roman soldiers, if they had converted to Christianity, came. So... I mean, honestly, it was, it was an amazing thing. It must have been an amazing thing to see. There was no other institution in the ancient world like this. And so what the Apostle Paul is referring to in verses 20 through 22, which we discussed last week, so I'll just summarize it, is what was happening is you had the very wealthy or affluent or the more aristocratic bringing lots and lots of food and lots of wine, And then you had the very poor who could hardly feed themselves. They didn't bring anything. And then you had others just bringing, you know, varieties of food. And so what was happening was the very rich and the very wealthy, they would eat and gorge themselves and drink a lot of wine, but didn't share it with anybody else. And the end result was that when it came time for the Lord's table after the meal, some of them were coming to the table drunk. Some of them were coming gorged with food. I mean, they'd enjoyed all the food that they brought. And that's what Paul is coming down on. And he's saying, your purpose is not to eat and drink. If that's the main purpose for coming, do that at home. You're here to share the bounty of what you have with everyone, but your focus is worship. Your focus then is the Lord's table. So... What he does in verse 23 is he takes them back to the upper room and reminds them of what Jesus said. All right, now before we read this, I've tried to summarize about eight verses plus a bunch of historical background stuff. Is everybody with me? If you don't understand what I just said, what Paul is talking about doesn't make any sense. But when you, if you hopefully grasp everything that I quickly summarized, then you understand the context, and you understand why he's saying this. Okay? So what he reviews in verse 23 through 26 is very familiar language, I would suspect. Very familiar language to most of you, because probably the person who's officiating at communion service in your church quotes this. For I received from the Lord that which I also received or uh, delivered to you, that... The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, or there's a little bit of a textual issue there, but which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me start with verse 26 and work our way back. It is a very, very instructive term that Paul is using here in verse 26. And he is saying what Christ said in the upper room, the word "proclaim." That is, a, that is a term that is used of a pastor preaching. That is a term of a, of a pastor who is preaching a message and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get our word evangelism from that. So do you, do you understand what that's saying? By participating in the Lord's table as a group of believers remembering all that Jesus did for you, you are proclaiming the gospel message. It is a living, acting out metaphor, if you will, of all that Christ has done for us. That's the gospel. So as you observe it, you are proclaiming truth. You are preaching truth. You are, that's another way of saying it, by your actions, it's as if you were standing up and proclaiming with your words the truth of all that Jesus stands for is and always done. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a profound thought. And it's, it's like we talked the other week about baptism. It's, it's so important that however you observe the Lord's table and however you, however often you do it, or what the exact circumstances are, that you take it seriously. This isn't something superficial. Oh, no, it's Communion Sunday again. Okay, we'll go through that. You know. I mean, I've, maybe some of you have had that, you know, just that initial response. Oh, I forgot Communion. Maybe we should have thought about staying home this Sunday because it takes a little while. We don't get to Denny's as early. Boy, that's a cynical comment. Forgive me, I didn't mean that. But it's, it's something that we should take as seriously as we take Baptism. Now go back to the, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to work my way back. Verse 25. There's a phrase there that often is overlooked. The cu- this cup is the new covenant. The new covenant. Now, I'm, I'm not wanting to teach a whole bunch of stuff here from the Old Testament, But this this is language that the Jewish person hearing that in the first century, their their ears would have been pricked, their eyes would have, oh. they, They would have heard something that reminded them of very important passages of Scripture. Specifically, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 and 37. That God... God is going to institute, inaugurate a new covenant that will supersede the Mosaic covenant, the law. And so when Jesus says that, this cup is the new covenant. Remember, the cup represents the the blood, the, the wine or the juice or whatever you use in your church. It's symbolic. He's saying something there. That the shedding of my blood inaugurates the new covenant. So, let's put it another way. This symbol that we celebrate and participate in and take part in of the cup, the drinking of the cup, is a very powerful illustration that the new order has begun. So let's, let's really, again, you know, we're proclaiming this, we're preaching this truth. That when we celebrate communion, we are remembering all that Jesus did for us, but we also, we also are participating in something that the shedding of his blood and all that the cup represents and everything it stands for is the mark of the new order of things. I used to say new age, but you, you can't use that phrase anymore as a neutral term it isn't a neutral concept anymore you think of all kinds of names and so it's new the new order of things and it's 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 just a, it's a, it's a wonderful phrase and jesus is really saying something there and we we sometimes miss that we talk about the cup and we remember but it's the new covenant in my blood my blood the shedding of it all that happens in the cross is the mark. A new order of things has begun. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Then we go back one more verse, because like I said, I'm working my way back. Jesus said, this is my body. There is probably no phrase that Jesus uttered that has caused more controversy than what that means. Now, I don't know if there's a lot of people here today, so I may not have enough of these. But Let's I, see if we can get some more. From. Uh, I think there is, but I'm not sure. There's, it's really good to see all of you, but you mess up my computations when I try to make a guesstimate of who's going to be here. Just, I'm just kidding. But I don't want do, to make a big deal out of this, but um, I want you to get a sense of, one, how important this phrase is, but also how difficult it is in the various traditions of Christianity to understand what Jesus meant by that. And how you understand this is my body affects how you understand what's going on in communion. Okay, does everybody have one? Oh, good. Excellent. Looks like there's even one left over, so that's excellent. Does Mark get one? Okay. So, again, I I don't want to... I, I unless you really really want me to I'm not necessarily interested in uh doing a long exposition of each one of these, but how you understand that phrase that Jesus uttered, "This is my body affects what you think is going on when you partake of communion. Does that sentence make sense yeah, sure. okay so if you start uh you know I, if I hold it up this way, it's my right, but your left. Go all the way over to here. Now, on this side, the memorial view, do this in remembrance of me, essentially there is nothing that has happened in the elements. It's still the bread, it's still the wine or the juice, whatever you use. Nothing has happened to it, it's just a memorial. You are remembering what Christ did, and it's just to facilitate you remembering I'll go over to the other end. What down at the bottom, the little spectrum I've created, is a sacramental view. And that, you begin on this side with the Roman Catholic tradition, which follows a position, it's a big long word, transubstantiation. But it's essentially, it's a big word, but it isn't difficult to understand. That when the priest says the prayer of consecration, he t- takes the host and brings it to the altar it becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. The substance is transubstantiation. So that when you partake of communion, you are partaking literally of the body and blood of Christ. The next position, which is not quite as far on the sacramental end of things, but still is that, is the Lutheran view. And this, of course, all comes from things that Luther talked about during the Reformation, but We call it another big word, consubstantiation. Jesus is present in the elements, but not in a sacrificial sense. And then you have the Reformed view, or the Calvinist view, or you can call it all kinds of things. It's that Jesus is just present spiritually in the elements, that there's a spiritual presence, but not a literal presence. Now again, I, I don't want to confuse you, but I want you to understand that through 2,000 years, this phrase, this is my body, what did Jesus mean by that? Because presumably, they're eating the Passover meal, he took the piece of bread that they always took, and held it up, and said, this is my body. So the question is, is he speaking literally, or is he speaking figuratively? If he's speaking figuratively, then he's saying, this bread here represents my body. Or if he's speaking literally, he's saying, this is my body. And so as you partake of it, as you ingest it into your body, and as you drink of the cup, you are drinking of the body uh, of the body and blood of Christ, which is essentially the Roman Catholic position, and the Lutheran position is very close to that. So around this table, and I don't want to get into this particularly, I don't want to create any dissension or fights. I don't want you duking it out or anything like that, but around this table, I'm rather certain... You come from traditions that are going to fall in one of these positions. Probably most of you attend a church where it's a memorial view. I'm, I'm guessing that. Some of you I know where you go to church, but some of you I don't know. But I know there, there are a couple of Lutherans here. I know there are a couple of Roman Catholics here. So it's just, it's just an area where you're, you're, there's disagreement on how to interpret and understand what Christ is doing as he institutes the table. I believe, and you see it both in verse 24 and you see it in verse 25. Whatever you believe and however you believe in terms of what is happening to the elements, Jesus made it crystal clear, and it is a command. This isn't a suggestion. This is in the imperative mood. Do this and remember to me. This is to cause you to remember and reflect on all Jesus has done for you. Regardless of what you think is happening to the elements, and there is discussion about that over the last 2,000 years, the command is, in addition to what you think is happening to the elements, it is to cause you to remember what Jesus has done for you. And I want to add one other thing. It isn't here, but it's in the Mark account, and it's in the Matthew account. There is a backward look of remembrance when you partake of communion. But there's also a forward look. Because Jesus says, I will not, I'm going to really paraphrase his point, I will not do this again until I do so with you in my Father's kingdom. I don't know about you, but that's kind of an exciting thought. So I, I mean, I, you know, I am an ordained minister, so I do, uh, I used to do a lot of that when I traveled, but you know, I go into a church to preach. Oh, by the way, you have communion this morning. Oh, okay. So in other words, you want me to officiate. Yes. <laughs> but when I do that, I always focus on this remembrance, however you're understanding what's happening to the elements. It is to cause you to look back and remember what Jesus has done for you. You are to reflect on that. You are, it is to a time of reflection and remembrance and praise and adoration and thanks to the Lord for all he's done. But it's also to give you a forward look. It is to cause me to think about his return and, and all that's going to happen when he returns. And it's an, excite, it's an exciting joyous. That's why we should end as, as Jesus did in the upper room with the man. They ended their celebration by singing a hymn, and they sang one of the psalms. That we think Psalm, perhaps Psalm 118, but we don't know that for sure. But anyway, they sang a hymn. So we should end communion, whatever, however you practice, whatever you do. We should end it on a real note of joy, singing, and because it's it's celebrating and remembering, and it's in the anticipation that Jesus said, "I'm not going to do this again until I do so with you in my kingdom." There's a, uh, it, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it for quite a while, but in various Christian bookstores, and you can see it uh, in, in all kinds of little catalogs and stuff, there's a photograph of a table. And the table just, it's a long, it goes onto the horizon and it ends. And it's just a table where there are seats, and it's a set table, and it's, just, it's that phrase that, that Jesus quote, I will not do so until I do so in my Father's kingdom. The marriage supper probably going to be a part of what the Bible calls a marriage separate land. That's, so that's how we should think about this. And that again if you go back to verse 20, I worked my way back from 26 to, the, to 24, but this is part of that proclaiming. That's the gospel. You're acting out the truth of all that Christ did and all the excitement and joy that goes with that grand truth of what Christ did. So I'm hoping. I don't know. Maybe this Sunday your church will celebrate communion, but I'm hoping the next time you participate in communion, think of it. I'm looking back and I'm remembering. That's clear. And however, you look at what's going on with the elements, it is. It's command. Do this and remember it to me. But then adding those thoughts of Jesus in Mark and Matthew, that forward look to it. That's just. That should be. We've had a time of reflecting. Sometimes there are tears. I mean, I've, I've been in communion where I, tears come to my eye as I just remember and reflect how much I owe to Jesus. But then also that anticipating thought of, my goodness, we are going to do this with him again in the kingdom. Okay? Questions or thoughts? Wait, you don't have to raise your hand, brother. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, oh, I know everything you said is true but where is it written uh, it's probably in the same, same chapter and possibly the same verse that he'll be back and, and we will have communion
0: again is that kind of what you said he, well yes that he, uh, he he will drink of the cup and eat of the uh, of the bread in, in his uh, uh, in his in his father's kingdom. I'm going to have to. I don't I'll, I'll tip of my fingers. I do not have the exact verse. It's. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't go back and the
1: other.
0: Yes, you did. No, no, no. I I can quickly. It's it's in Matthew's account, Mark's account. Um, it's
1: Matthew
0: There you go. Thank you. Very good. Thanks, Joel. Joe, I have a Hispanic student in one of my classes, and his first name is Joel. Do you know how he wants me to pronounce it? Joel. 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 And uh, every time I wait, he says, if you say Joe, I won't answer. I said, okay. <laughs> now, he's being, he's being a little humorous, but it's, uh, you know, it's in almost every part of our culture now. There's just a growing Hispanic presence. And it was really, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of Javiers and you know, all that. But Joe. I said, Joe, And he said, no, Joel. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so I may call you Joel, okay. <laughs> all right, any further questions or comments? Uh, I, I want to make sure you understand what he's teaching and then I want to ask the question, why is Paul r- going over this again?
1: So, depending upon what position you take on this continuum you've described, yep. are there eternal spiritual consequences for the position?
0: Oh, Jim. <clears throat> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Good. That's a good yes. The, the answer to that question is yes. Um, probably. Oh, goodness.
1: We don't have to go there. Anymore. Well, it's. Uh, I. I
0: mean, I owe you. I owe you a partial answer here. Without. Um, I'm trying to think of how uh, detailed I, I want to be in my response to your question. <clears throat> so let me just answer it this way: When you're on the Sacramento end. And that gets to the actual meaning of the word sacrament, which is a whole other area of discussion in one sense. But um, especially in the Roman Catholic uh, teaching about the, uh, the, the Lord's table or what they often call the Eucharist, it is a means by which God conveys grace. And if you do not participate in uh, communion, uh, on a regular basis which is tied to you maintaining your state of salvation I'm really using phrases that don't necessarily use it that way but uh, it does affect your standing with the Lord it can affect your salvation it can affect how long it would uh, be before you actually get to heaven the beatific vision and all that so I mean to make to, to try to answer it without getting into a, a lot of very theological stuff it does have an it does have a an eternal implication to it how you look at it and especially for a person that is of, of the Roman Catholic tradition uh, communion or the Eucharist uh, is extremely important for them in in terms of maintaining that state of grace maintaining that uh, position of salvation if you again I'm putting it the way an evangelic often puts it in the language without because it's the whole way in which uh, the church has um, uh, understood the sacraments and understood the importance of the sacraments as a as a way of keeping that state of grace. It is a way in which God conveys grace. That's it. okay.
1: But if you're not Catholic, it don't allow you to participate in communion.
0: I'm sorry, would you say that again? I'd... If you're not Catholic, yes, right.
1: they will not allow you to accept communion. That's correct, that's correct. Which to me is
0: yeah. Yes, if, if you're, you're not embraced, if you haven't not, <laughs> you know. if you haven't been baptized uh, into the church, the Catholic church uh, they, they do not allow you to partake of, of the Eucharist. Yeah, that's right. Darrell. Could you just give a one word summary
1: of those four again? Transubstantiation Becomes
0: the actual body. Right, and, and it, if you go back to the top, Daryl, uh, of, of the chart, the very first box, literal sacrificial presence of Jesus in the elements. In other words, it's the literal body and blood of Jesus. The bread is his body. The cup, the the, the uh, wine or the juice or whatever, is the, becomes the body and blood of Christ. But it is a sacrificial presence. In other words. As uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, when I was writing my book, I quoted him. He he, used, he was Benedict XVI, but he was the main theologian of the Church before he became the Pope. He said, "Every time the Mass is said, Jesus is resacrificed. It's that ongoing sacrifice of Christ. That's why one of the symbols of that in the Catholic tradition is the crucifix. Jesus is still on the cross because that sacrifice is is an ongoing, continuous." Uh, uh, sacrifice. The Lutheran position, if you go to the next box then, is the literal non-sacrificial presence. Jesus is in the elements, but not in a sacrificial way. The already been done. That's right, that's right. And then the the Reformed view or Calvinist view, it's a lot of traditions, it's just Jesus is spiritually present. There's no tangible... Um, um, I have to say it, no tangible presence of Jesus in the elements. It's just spiritually he's there. You're nurtured spiritually by participating in and observing communion, but nothing is happening to the elements. And then the final box is, is I mean, I didn't know how else to put it, just thanksgiving, remembrance. Nothing has happened. There's nothing in terms of the elements in terms of Christ's presence, either literally, sacrificially, or spiritually. It's just bread and it's wine or, or juice the important and focal point of that position is just that remembrance. But I want to repeat something, that, uh, and and I hope I summarized for you what you were looking for there, Daryl. But I really, no matter what position you hold, the operative command is at the end of verse 24 and the end of verse 25. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the command. So however you look at what's happening, it is to cause you to remember what Jesus did for you, and that is, uh, to me, that that's how I've taught this. And, and this is a group where you got a got a broad group of people that are here. But it, it seems to me that is the most important thing for us to take away from this. And I want to ask the. Did I see a hand out? Of, yeah, Mark. Yeah. So how often we
1: supposed to do it?
0: Another question is. No, I didn't even hear the first part. What? How often you Jesus doesn't address that. The Bible does not address that. Mark, that's part of the freedom. I'm sorry. Once
1: in a lifetime.
0: Well, uh, because this is an ordinance of the church, it would seem to me that uh, once in a lifetime is probably not what Christ had in mind. But I, I mean, I'm not. I'm trying to. That would be the extreme end of the spectrum. And that just just common sense tells us, intuitively, that's probably not what he meant. Because the tense of the verb is an ongoing, continuous, present tense, which means it's an ongoing thing you do. You don't do it just once. Okay? So, but then that's where the freedom comes in. And so, I, like I said, Mark, uh, I don't know if you were here yet when I said that, but I, I grew up in a church and for a brief time was involved in a church where every Sunday they celebrated communion. My daughter and son-in-law go to a church where every Sunday they observe communion. Some others, uh, it's like once a month. The church I'm involved in now, which I'm on staff part-time, we observe communion once a month. Others, uh, once a quarter. And then when you get past once a quarter, it's it's rare to see anybody going beyond that. Like I said, there are some that observe it only during Easter weekend, but that is extremely rare. I just think... so I think the norm. I, don't know, I'm the, I shouldn't even say I don't know what the norm is. I'm not sure.
1: And uh, for the first box, you say literal, sacrificial presence. Uh, from the view of the people who believe in that, uh, what is going to happen to make the bread and the wine becomes Jesus? You know, like what's going to make the transformation of the regular bread and the regular wine? How is going to be transferred to Jesus to be in there? from their point of view there is any kind of uh, anything that they do when the
0: priest says the prayer of consecration that is when the transformation occurs but you're thinking wait a minute it still looks like they're drinking wine and eating a piece of bread Uh, yes
1: I'm just asking no
0: I mean that's I mean that's the answer now there then is a and Thomas Aquinas uh, uh, what would bring Jesus into that
1: bread and that wine, and that the prayers before we bring
0: the bread. You right that's yes, correct that's, that's when that one. transformation occurs yeah. can we leave this now
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> alright and, and the reason I decided to distribute this was simply because I know I know the various traditions around the table and I just want to make sure that everybody's aware of that but that the most important, no matter where you are, yet the most important command is do this and remember to me. I want to ask this question. Um, Why would Paul interject this into this discussion where he's talking about how they're abusing the Lord's table? You're coming to the Lord's table drunk. You're coming to the Lord's table gorged with food. Well, he reviews this, because this is the authoritative teaching of Jesus. And if you are to do this as a remembrance of all Jesus did for you, and to proclaim, declare the gospel truth, it's not about gorging yourself with food. And it's not about drinking wine to you become inebriated. That seems to be an abuse of the Lord's table. And that's the point. In your liberty and the agape meal and wrapping the Lord's table around that, there's nothing wrong with doing that. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's in a tradition that's fine. But Paul is saying, you are now abusing the table of the Lord. And that's a very serious thing to God. And so verse 27 He cited what they're doing. He's matched that against the authoritative teaching of Jesus. Now he issues, here's what you have to do to correct this. And it's it's kind of tough language. But remember, they were abusing something that was sacred to Christ and had a very clear purpose. Remembrance. In proclamation. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. There's nothing terribly unique about those Greek words. It means an unworthy manner. (laughs) Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now the language there, as, as I intimated just a second ago, in an unworthy manner, is to abuse the body and blood of Christ, is to abuse all that this is intended to represent. Let's make it stronger. This, in effect, is what Jesus, excuse me, this is, in effect, what Paul is saying. You are mocking Jesus. You are mocking his finished work you are making your self-indulgence more important than his sacrifice. You follow me? It's serious stuff. Because if you are exercising your liberty in wrapping the, the communion, Lord's table, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, around this agape meal, and you end up coming to the table, gorged with food and drunk from wine, What's more important to you, remembering and proclaiming the truth or self-indulgence in the good things of your good life? The answer is obvious. So he is saying, do not treat this as something innocuous and not terribly important. This is the most important thing there is to the Lord. You are abusing him. You are mocking his work. Pretty serious, isn't it? So what does he say? Here's the command. Let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I, When I lead communion, and in, my pastor does it that way, and many others do too, that perhaps you can remember this last time, the pastor often says, as a part of that introduction, we're going to take a couple of minutes, and it's going to be silent. I want you to examine your heart. Where did you get that from this verse? Let's make sure, it's, it's almost like he's saying, let's make sure that when we come to the table, we've examined our heart, we've examined ourselves. Because I don't want to come to the table, Paul is saying, mocking and abusing the Lord. Let's just make sure. And I mean, a lot of things that, you know, maybe unconfessed sin, maybe things you need to deal with, Whatever it is, just examine yourself. Now, that's that, that's kind of a, a negative application of it, but a positive application of it, which I think is equally as important. In that term, examine. Make sure, make sure that your mind is kind of clear, that you're not thinking about work, or think, that you are focused on Christ, because the celebration of communion is to be Christ-focused. Now, this Sunday, if your church is saying communion, if you're going to observe communion, I should say, make sure your mind is not on the Denver Broncos. And I don't mean that flippantly. I mean that very seriously. That because when you, when you are about to participate in this remembrance, to remember, again, however you look at what's happening, the key is remembered. Examining yourself positively to make sure that my mind and my thoughts, my heart are just focused on Christ. Not on other things. And then the other part of examining, like I said, kind of a negative thing, is the sin in your life or things that you just have to make right with the Lord. And so it's just another way of saying verse 28 is, you know, because I, I want to kind of step out of just what the Corinthians were doing and step it into our lives. Let's make sure we really are taking communion seriously. And it just—that seems to me a very important application of this. Jim, Don't take it flippantly f- or <laughs> superficially. It's serious business to the Lord.
1: Are, are you saying this is an excellent time for us to periodically take take that time to review our hearts and mind and our relationship to God and get closer to Him? Because this is how we are in Christ, through His body and through His blood, mm,
0: through His and, sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to uh, just allow, I mean, that's why in the history of the church, it's been a struggle. What is going on there? Because it is clearly nurturing and and edifying to us. And um, those on the more sacramental end will say, if it's just a remembrance, that's too weak. That's We're such weak vessels. And so, again, however you're looking at this, and what happens in the actual elements the, the absolute imperative of this is it is to f- cause you to focus on Jesus in all that he has done for us and that can be it's a, it's a it's a spiritual renewal or nurturing because your mind is now in Christ and everything he did for you and that's if that is your focus it's a, it, that's why I said sometimes I mean I, I've had tears in my eyes as I've just reflected on all that Jesus saved me from. And, I mean, that's the kind of thing I think he wants us to say. Just make sure that you're coming to the table and everything's right. Your attitude, your focus, you know. So, you know.
1: that being the case, are there times that we shouldn't come
0: to the table? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, i you've asked that very broadly, so I'm going to answer it very broadly. Probably, yes. There are, t- there are times when if, if there are... So, yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to think of an example because I, I just don't want to do that. But, yeah, that's, that has to be a very personal thing with each one of us. But maybe, depending on what's in our heart and, you know, because the next verse is the reason why I better take this seriously and maybe sometimes even refrain from it for that morning. For he, Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment, if he does not judge the body rightly. It's a serious business to God.
1: I'm going to back up just a little bit. Um, I have had some experience with the Catholic Church, and as I recall, you weren't at communion unless you were in the state of grace. had mm-hmm. made a confession mm-hmm. and did whatever the priest mm-hmm. you know, suggested that you do. Mm-hmm. But I'm taking it literally. <coughs> That's probably the case, even if you're not. Kept, I mean, if you just answer you know, um, probably need to probably need to be pretty having confessed to the Lord at any rate, any anything that might have offended him.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't, uh, y- yes. Um, yes and no. <laughs> I mean, the, the answer to, uh, and really you're making a comment and more than a question, I think, Woody, and I would affirm that because I think I tried to put it this way. I, I'm trying to stay away from really specific, you must do this, 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 and this, because I'm not sure I have the authority to say you must do this, this, and this. I kind of put it this way, and I, I think a third time I'm saying it. We are to take this very seriously in our life, in our walk with the Lord. And it's so serious that Paul has reviewed what Jesus said, stressed the remembrance part, part that if you come to the table in an unworthy manner, it's serious business to the God, to the Lord. You are abusing and you are mocking him, and however that, whatever that means, and whatever the specifics are, there is that, and I think all of us can think of that. You know, I understand what that means. Oh no, now it's communion. You don't think about what's going on. You don't take it seriously. You go through the motion. You drink and you eat, and oh boy, good now I can go home and eat dinner. I mean, that's that's treating something that's very important to the Lord in a very flippant way. And I'm not saying any of you have done that, but I'm just saying that is that is kind of mocking something that's very important to the Lord. So his instruction is, examine yourself. And that's why I think it's really important, and I don't know if, if your your pastors do that or, or however you engage in the celebration of this, but I do think it's helpful when a pastor takes a minute or two and just says, we're going to have some... Just a few silent moments. Sometimes they have the organ player, or the piano play, or, you know, whatever it is. They're just collectively, all of us in the body of Christ, to just bring things before the Lord and just quiet our hearts, have our mind and our attitudes and everything focused on Christ, Then we're ready. And I think this is such a helpful, verse 28, is such a helpful, and it is a command, because God knows what we're like. He knows, I mean, you know, he knows that our attitudes and thoughts and our minds are racing all over the place. So that examine yourself. It, it is not only a negative, I like call it negative, where you know, think about all the things you're guilty for. I mean, I think we have to approach it that way. But also, just in, in a positive sense, make sure your focus is on Jesus. And sometimes, I, I mean, I've prayed that so many times. Lord, help me to get my mind and thoughts over all these other things and just to focus and concentrate on you. Is the Lord going to answer that prayer? Of course he is. And if you need to talk to him about some things, you use those minutes. Or if you know that's it's Communion Sunday and your church doesn't have that time of reflection, take it before you leave home. Just Paul is saying... Jesus instituted this he used very specific words that are in the form of commands take it seriously and however you're going to do it and whatever just make sure you're focused on remembering all that Jesus did for you yes What the Lord—that's uh, in the uh, section right after. It's a couple places in the New Testament where the Lord institutes uh, or the Lord reviews the Lord's prayer. You know, uh, forgive those who trespass against you. Remember that. And then it's in Matthew's account. There are two additional verses down at the bottom, which help to expound a little bit upon what does Jesus mean by that. And he says, "You know, I don't know, Daryl." Um, Jesus is speaking those words in the context of Israel and its altar of sacrifice and so on. You know what I mean? Because his death, burial, and resurrection hasn't occurred yet. However, I think just applicationally, and and maybe even just from a perspective of common sense, it seems reasonable that that maybe should be a part of examining ourselves. And I mean, I don't want to make that into a rigid because I don't, I'm not sure I see that necessarily in all that Christ is saying at that moment. But it seems intuitive to me, and part of common sense to me, that if I have bitterness in my heart towards somebody, I mean, intense bitterness and hatred, and I'm examining my heart, I, I got to get rid of that. that. And so what does that mean? Well, you talk to the Lord about it, and you ask his forgiveness for all of that. And then sometimes, Daryl, maybe, maybe you will say, you know, I, this is such a burden. I have to go, before I take communion again, I have to go and reconcile with that guy. Or at least ask his forgiveness, or whatever. I think there's, this is my own opinion on that. Uh, you may disagree. But I think we have some freedom there on how we'll apply something like that. But if you're really burdened with that, I think the Spirit is saying, you probably should make that right. Yeah. And it was, it was really a beautiful yeah. to see oh, yeah. people get up and reconcile and then to yeah. come back an hour before the Lord Right. Absolutely. can focus. Absolutely. On what I'm, try- I'm trying to stay away, and I, some of you have been around me before, I'm, tr- I'm trying to stay away from putting down rigid guidelines that we must always follow. Right. But I think something like that, I think that's a very positive outcome of examining ourselves. And I think sometimes we just need to do that. Well, we're, I can't believe it's quarter of. Um, I guess we'll just stop because I, I, I'm not done with this, and there's no way I'm going to cover 30 through 34 in 60 seconds. So tomorrow we'll we'll kind of pick up with verse 30, which is a very difficult verse, but we'll pick up with that. And then chapter 12... We shift to something totally different—the wonderful, non-controversial topic of spiritual gifts, things like speaking in tongues and all those things—that oh, nice. will be so much fun. So maybe the Lord will come, and we will not have to deal with it.
1: We said tomorrow, but for Rick's purposes, we're next week. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll I. I week. I'm sorry. Uh,
0: I come think tomorrow.
1: See what happens. <laughs>
0: Sometimes I say that because I think I'm in the classroom. But anyway, anyway, let's pray here. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, Uh, the way you bless us. Thank you for each one of these men. It's great to see so many here. Lord, we are so thankful Woody's back with us. Thank you for the immeasurable grace that you showered upon this man. Uh, He was so sick, and so many things happened to his body And we thank you for the expert nature of medical care, for the expertise of these various medical people that knew what to do, knew how to treat him, and uh, Lord, that he's on the road back to full health. We praise you for that. In many ways, he's a trophy of your grace, and we're just so glad and actually utterly delighted that he's well enough to rejoin our group. Thank you for a number of uh, new guys that have come in in the last couple of weeks. Thank you for all that you're doing in each one of our lives as we together are just growing we're growing together in our walk with you thank you for this time around uh, these verses in chapter 11 and i hope each one of us will take away this morning um, from our time together just a reminder of how important the lord's table is it is just one of those object lessons those those things that we do within the body of christ to cause us to focus on christ and to remember all that he has done for us and that's that's important it's very important that we always remember that uh, our salvation and all that christ did for us is the reason that we're here now it's the, the the fundamental center of our lives and we give you praise and thanks for instituting that lord jesus that object lesson of uh, kind of causing us collectively to remember all that christ has done we just want to take it seriously I want to make sure that it's an important part of our worship. And however we do it, however frequently we do it, the important point is that we do it. And may it be a worshipful time of remembrance, but also a time of anticipation of what what we will do as a part of the many, many joys and celebrations when Christ returns for us. Give us a good rest of this day. Help each one of these men to represent you well. In Christ's name, amen.